a quick word to the, if you're watching uh, the service online this morning, we've made a slight modification. We've just streamed it down a little bit and we haven't put the music on. We just want to experiment that. If you would prefer to have the, uh, a set of worship songs before the talk, then you can e email us at elders at sabc.org.nz and let us know. Uh, if you're happy with the way it is, then that's cool. We'll carry, carry on doing that. Okay, so we, um, this, this year as we are going through the different, uh, different weeks, we've got opportunities for new people to, to preach and speak, and over the next weeks, although not entirely new, we've got Anna doing the, the next two weeks, and uh, then we have Caleb, and then we have Tori speaking. So there are four people under the age of 40. Well, Anna is twice, so that actually makes her over the age of... Um, but one of the other things that we wanted to do is just make sure there is a, a bit of a theme running through the year, and it, God spoke to me last year, as you know, about preaching on the kingdom of God, and so that's where we're I'm focusing on through my talks, is talking about God's kingdom. And it hasn't really uh, gone the course that I thought it would. You know, I, when I first started thinking about preaching about the kingdom, I thought, well, I'll be basically talking about uh, all the parables that Jesus talked about, because Jesus basically, all he taught about was the kingdom. And I haven't gone there. And as I, as I started uh, working through this, I realized, actually, for most of us, we need a really good foundational understanding of where God's kingdom actually comes from and what it is. And so, so the best place to build a foundation is out of Genesis. So I started in Genesis, and we are now on the sixth talk getting towards the end of chapter 2. <laughs> and so this morning I wanted to talk about the kingdom of God is a family. And we're starting with reading the scripture from Genesis chapter 2 verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping... He took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, and some people might say, Well, what is the reason? The reason is that man discovered completeness. In, in what God did here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So the very first institution or organization that God implemented at the start of his kingdom on earth was the family. Families are relational, and God is signaling right at the beginning that his kingdom will be relational. It will be a family. Remember in chapter 1 we discovered that we are made in God's image, which makes us incredibly valuable. However, it also means that we are relational beings. God was already in a relationship before creation. We understand God to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in complete and perfect relationship with each other. So being in his image, we are therefore also made for relationship. In verse 18 of chapter 2, it says, 
the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for man to be alone. And in that sense, I'm using man as mankind. In in chapter 1 of Genesis, the Bible says that God made mankind as male and female. And in chapter 2 here, we see this in more detail and discover that there is a completeness that occurs with intimate, close relationship of a male and female in his kingdom. And we discover that God is the king of family, and God is the king of relationship. We are built for relationship, we are built for family. And not only is the union of Adam and Eve a confirmation and demonstration of this design, it is a prophetic image of the relationship between Christ and and the church. And Paul links this idea in Ephesians when he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. As Adam and Eve came together in marriage, so Christ and his church come together. In Genesis 2, God prophesies the need to leave the old and cleave to the new. Just as when we come to Christ, we leave our old ways and cleave to the ways of Christ. You know, just as a a, a little aside, when we're looking at uh, chapter 2, we see that there are two uh, significant things that God demonstrates for the church to be aware of. We start off with the seventh day, the Sabbath rest, and we talked about that a few weeks ago, how that God created the Sabbath rest, and I talked about three levels, and the first one is actually taking the time. Level two is actually focusing on God when we're taking the time, and level three is discovering Jesus as our rest. As we wait on him, we renew our strength. And here we see the second really significant thing that God brings in right at the start of creation, which is the concept of marriage and family, that he's saying, this is really important. Family is really important. And in fact, it's a symbol of Christ and the church. It's one of the things that I'm implementing for that. And you know, we, we, we talk with people around um, sexual purity, and especially if we're teaching with young people, we talk about it, but even adults around the idea of adultery or uh, for young people, it's around premarital sex normally. But we, and we say you shouldn't do it because it hurts when, you, when it all goes wrong. And we give that reason. But there is another actually deeper reason because God institution, instituted the idea of marriage as a symbol for Christ and the church. And when we break that symbol, it's like we're kicking sand in God's face. So it's... Um, It is important that we understand that, that family is really important to God, really important. And it's a symbol of the relationship between Christ and his church. And, you know, in the New Testament, the church is described as lots of things. It's described as an army, as a building, and as a body. But the very first image of the church is family. And the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Jesus calls us his family. And we see in Revelation, uh, it says there, 
Um, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, which is a description of the bride of Christ. It's a description of us. And listen to this. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The bride of Jesus, his church, is stunning. Jesus has made it so. Now, I know we all realize that we've probably got a little bit of work. But the reality is that the bride of Jesus, God calls it stunning, precious. You know, God's kingdom operates first and foremost as a family, not as a hierarchical establishment, not as a business, not as a committee. It operates as a family. And for us here at SABC, that concept is actually built into the very heart of who we are. Our forefathers actually built it into our constitution. Have a look at this. When it talks about the way we do church, which is partway through, uh, Point 22 says, so we operate on the basis of relationship, not rules. We operate as a family. And if you look at uh, 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 the implications, we have few rules and encourage the kind of respect that is consistent with true family relationships. And we've got a scripture there that you can read that talks about that. The kingdom of God is designed to move forward through relationship. This was the design from the beginning. You know, the first man and woman only had one rule to follow. What was it? Yeah, yeah, don't eat the apple. Actually, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not sure if it was actually an apple. They only had one rule to follow. Everything else was done out of relationship. You know, God would walk with them in the cool of the evening, and, and I'm sure they'd have some fantastic conversations about you know, what's happening, what are we doing, how's life going, and they did it all out of relationship. And yet, the, the devil came along to them and said, you know, you can be like God, know the difference between good and evil, it means you can decide what's right and wrong. That's what the devil was saying to them. And they decided, actually, yeah, we like, what's, we'd like the idea of what's being right and wrong. So they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, of course, we call the fall, and that's where a lot of problems came in. And we decided that we want to set the rules. We want to set the boundaries. And so rules started to prolificate, and now there's virtually no end of rules out there. And we think we like rules. You know, there is certainty in rules, you know when you're breaking the speed limit. There is a rule. And we think that without rules, there will be chaos. And yet, this is exactly how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate. No rules. And if you remember from one of my first talks, we discovered that God is a conquering God, and one of the things that he conquers is chaos, and yet he says his kingdom is a place of relationship. And just as there was one rule in the garden, 
there's also one rule in the family, and that is the rule of love. Love God, love people. Friends, love trumps rules. And just as there's one rule in the garden, there's also one rule in the family. Oh, sorry, I've said that. Yes, read it. Good, good. Now, whatever we do in the kingdom, the mode of operation is love, not control. You know, and when Jesus delivered the Sermon of the Mountain in Matthew 5 and 6, he talked about he, he didn't come to do away with the law. But he then goes on and gives a great big list of examples of how you do more than the law. And one of them was, he said, if someone uh, makes you walk one mile, rules, walk with them two, relationship. Love trumps rules. And it's so easy to try and control people. Every time we try to control someone, we put a rule in place. And every time we put a rule in place, a bar goes up. And we put another rule in place, and another bar goes up, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one, and suddenly we find we're in a prison of our own making. Now, the kingdom of God is a place where there is love, not legalism, where there is relationship, not rules, where there is family, not force. So as well as being in our constitution, it's also built into our vision statement. Just a quick reminder of what it is. This next season is about being present, seeking, and living transformed lives in both church and trust. We will be a family of people who encounter God, move in the gifts of God's Spirit, experience miracles and healings, regularly and share the goodness of God as well as the message of the love of Christ contagiously. We will reach out to children and families of all ethnicities in our area every week. Our, young, our youth and young adults will passionately love and follow God, becoming successful in life. Our adults will become people who thrive in life, filled with hope and kingdom mindset due to the wisdom of God they are growing in. Our seniors will flourish in their older age, continuing to influence others, often through the programs of our trust and small groups, etc. It's embedded into our very vision, the concept of family, because, friends, God's first institution was family. And we've built it generationally into our vision statement. And if you receive Jesus' forgiveness by faith, then you are part of God's kingdom. And because you're a part of God's kingdom, then you are a member of the biggest, the best, the greatest family that ever will exist. Is that good news? Have a look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Members of God's very household, we belong in his kingdom. If we're in Christ, we're no longer orphans. We are fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, uncles, aunts, and God's family, grandparents. We are joint heirs of his kingdom. 
We belong, friends. We belong. Uh, I hope you bear with me because I want to share a little bit of my personal story. I grew up in what today is called a blended family. I have two brothers and two sisters. There should be a photo coming up, I think. There we go. So it's mum and dad at the bottom, and then my brother Mike on the far side, my sister Suzanne, uh, Tony, who uh, comes to this church, myself, and then my younger sister Gina standing there. The oldest two, Michael and Suzanne, came from my mother's first marriage, a marriage she had to leave because her first husband was a violent alcoholic. So she left for the safety of her and her children. My dad was about 10 years younger than my mum and met her when he was 21 and about six weeks later they were married. At 21, taking two young kids on to boot. And dad adopted Michael and Suzanne and gave them full inheritance rights. Um, my oldest brother and sister, Michael and Suzanne, they're, they're about 12 years, roughly around 12 years older than me. And so as I was growing up, uh, Mike had gone travelling overseas. He initially helped build the airport as a carpenter. He helped build the airport at, um, on the Chatham Islands. Then he, he was also a musician and still has been, although these days he's retired, he makes bows and knives. Anyway... Uh, he, uh, he is a travelling musician. He spent time uh, professionally with music in Sydney and then in Tokyo, which we'll talk a little bit about later on. And Suzanne got married and had two young children herself. And unfortunately, her marriage broke up, and mum and dad enabled her and her two children to come and live back at our house. The, their names are Dean and Donna. And they grew up more like a brother and sister to me than a nephew and a niece. And Michael had also come back home, and so we all eventually became Christians. I wasn't brought up in a Christian household, but we all came to faith. And we had nine people living in the same house, and on a Sunday after church, we'd be all inviting friends back for lunch, and there used to be about 30 people on a given Sunday coming back, and it was hectic. In fact, when Denise and I started going together, she comes from a family when there was only her brother, and she did find it a little bit noisy. And, and I come from a musical family. We could have three or four different songs all playing in the same room at the same time with different people and singing and carrying on. And no one really cared. That was great. And look, Mum and Dad are both with the Lord now, and I just want to acknowledge how incredible they were. And I thought the way that I was brought up was normal. I had a fantastic upbringing, and I'm going to talk about that in this morning's talk. And I thought that was normal, but as I've gone through, you know, I, I experienced incredible freedom, encouragement, guidance, and acceptance. And as I've journeyed through life and journeyed with people and talked with people, I discovered that lots of people have hang-ups through their childhood. And I don't seem to have many, because I had a fantastic upbringing. And I just praise God for that, or maybe God just hasn't identified them yet. There is always that. <laughs> but I, I realized that I was privileged to be given an incredible snapshot of aspects of what God's family is supposed to be like in my upbringing. And I, 
There's a whole list of things that I, I could identify, but I want to focus in on four this morning. And the first one is that God's family should be encouraging. God's family should be a place where we all receive incredible encouragement. This is what Hebrews says. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And actually, because of that verse, well, actually, also because I really enjoy it, you know, I try to be in church every Sunday. I think I'm probably in church about 51 weeks a year. Um, but So gather together, because when we're gathering together, we're able to encourage one another. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And what day is that? That's the day when Jesus returns. And I'm not quite sure when Jesus is returning, but I can tell you what, today is a day closer than it was yesterday. So as every day goes past, we should be meeting even more together. And I, I believe that in the early church, there's an indication in the Bible and also through church history that they tended to actually meet together almost on a daily basis. They'd be going from house to house, having a meal together on a daily basis. So just coming to church on a Sunday, we've got a little bit of that we can learn and grow in, family. And you're talking about I want to talk about my mum for a little bit. You know, I never heard mum say a negative word about any of her children. Even when we're getting up to some uh, interesting behaviours. And in fact, I don't know if I ever heard mum say a negative word about anyone. She always accentuated the positive. She always looked for the golden people. She always talked about someone's potential, not their present. Uh, I went to Rangiora Borough School and it had the intermediate, intermediate Incorporated. And when I was at an intermediate age, I tried out for the school choir. <laughs> Unfortunately, my voice had started to break. <laughs> and I was one of just a small handful of people that missed out of the school choir. And we come from a musical family. Mum never focused on me missing out, but she kept encouraging me, and she even did that as, a, as an adult, saying that I, you know, I was developing and had developed a great bass voice. And Mum used to teach speech and drama and various things, and we often meet people who, who uh, we, uh, in fact, was at a crossroads trust uh, donors meeting a year or so ago that um, Tony and myself are on the trust and Tony's wife Sue works, works there and there's a, a guy there who came along and we discovered that he had been taught by mum in speech and drama and he just talked about how she had encouraged him and it was always positive even when he's getting up to all the different uh, negative behaviours she just always encouraged him and he actually sorted his life out because of that. Encouragement is powerful, friends. Do you know what that kind of encouragement does to your soul when people start believing in you this way? How it builds courage into your thinking and into your very being? You know, I firmly believe that I have had the willingness to say yes to the opportunities that have presented themselves through my life 
and placed me where I am today because of mum's encouraging words. And there are people here today limited by shame, fear or doubt who just need someone to come alongside them and tell them things like, I'm not interested in your past, but you're capable of so much more in your future. Go for it. And we can all do this. It's part of what God's family is supposed to be like. I've had the privilege of being able to do this with a few people over the years, and it fills me with so much joy when I see these people now flourishing in life, being effective and influential. Choosing to live a life of encouragement is such a big part of being in God's family. As a church, why don't we take up the challenge to only speak encouraging words to each other? To continually call out the gold that sits inside each other. To live out the scripture. Let us, but let us encourage one another and all the more as the day approaches or gets closer. We can do it, friends. So encouraging. God's family is a place where we can be encouraged. The second one is God's family is a place where we can be empowered. Galatians 5 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know, I think that in this country we are afraid of failure. Or if we aren't afraid of failure, we're afraid of success and getting shot down because of the negative tall poppy syndrome that we have. And so many people have limited their potential because of fear. In the kingdom family, not only could we be encouraged, but we should be empowering people as well. We should let people have a go. After all, what is the worst that can happen? Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. And at least we will have all learned something. I grew up in Rangura and used to go down to the Ashley River to swim. And one time I came back, I, was, I think I was around 13, and I said to Dad, why don't we build a swimming pool? So Dad handed me a shovel. <laughs> and he said, you dig the hole and we'll concrete it together. So I spent all that summer digging a hole. Harry Now, what a risk Dad took, because I was only the age of 13, I could have easily started digging a hole, got sick of it, and just made this big mess in the backyard. Uh, by the way, he didn't get resource consent or anything like those things. We, he wasn't much into that. <laughs> he was much more into have a go. <laughs> and I think there's a photo of the swimming pool. And we... Just on the, the right-hand side of that was uh, sleep-outs where Tony and I slept in uh, a, a veranda there where there was a grapevine growing along and so we could get grapes any time, although they did get a bit chlorine-y over the, over the years. And on a hot summer's night, we could just run at, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, not able to sleep, we'd just run out, jump into the pool. It was awesome. And it was a fantastic gathering point for friends and a good place for baptisms as well. Did a few of those there. So I brought my first car at the age of 14. Uh, it was an, an Austin A40. And I stripped the car down, and Dad helped me, and I think we've got some photos coming up. Dad helped me cut a, a foot of length out of the chassis and out of the drive shaft, and we built a beach buggy, totally empowering me to have a go. 
I sold it to a friend who took the 1300cc engine out of it and put a 1600cc engine in it and it was just mental to hang on to. <laughs> and I learned at a young age not to let fear or failure limit me. You know, I love the question that Chris Valentine from the Bethel Church in Reading asked. He says, if money and time weren't an issue, what would you be doing? And then he follows the question up with this thought, if you're supposed to live by faith, then why aren't you doing it? Of course, that assumes that you aren't already doing it, but some are. You know, God's family is to be a safe place for taking risk. Look how Jesus encouraged Peter to step out of the boat and walk on water. Jesus empowered Peter to have a go. Now, friends, this is family stuff. God empowers us to have a go, and we should be empowering each other to have a go. And so what if it gets a little messy? The Bible tells us if we want to see the family grow, we need to expect a little mess. In Proverbs, it gives you this, this thing. It says, where there is no oxen, the manger is empty, which means it's clean, it's tidy. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. If you don't want mess, don't have oxen, don't empower people. But you won't really produce the harvest that God's got for you. You We won't experience a harvest if we don't build a climate where a church family feel empowered. And friends, that will mean having a mess on occasions. And it's okay. And what dream has God placed in your heart, but fear of failure or fear of what others might think has held you back from doing it? Friends, my word of encouragement to you is have a go. What boat are you going to step out of? God's family should be a place where we are encouraged. It should be a place where we are empowered. It should be also a place where we are accepted and accepting. Romans says this, Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. God's family is a place where every believer should feel they belong. Even when they mess up, even when they don't fit our pattern, there is power in acceptance. Now, as I said before, my brother Mike uh, lived overseas and primarily as a professional, professional musician. He, he was also an alcoholic and drug addict during that, that time over there. And one, one night, the New Zealand embassy from Tokyo rang mum and dad and said that they had to get Mike on the next flight out or he'd be dead because of the drug money that he owed. So they did. They scraped together the money somehow and they got him home. And he, he arrived back home uh, before I was a teenager and he lived in a... Uh, Dad had an engineering business and we, we, when we were really young, we shifted into this old cottage. It was about 100 years old when we shifted into it. It wasn't, we went from a brand new house to this. It wasn't mum's greatest shift. But uh, it was all part of uh, getting the land and, and building the engineering business. And so a caravan was stuck on the, uh, out the back there for Mike to live in. And we would have drug dealers coming around the place, supplying him drugs and that sort of thing. And we had us young kids growing up in that environment. I wonder what mum and dad thought with us growing up with that sort of lifestyle going on around the property. What a risk they must have been taking in doing that. 
but to me they demonstrated true acceptance. They didn't condone or agree with the behaviour. They encouraged Mike to go to Hanmer, which he went there about three times to try and clean up, which didn't work. But they still made sure that he felt welcome as part of the family. And my sister Suzanne's marriage broke up having two young kids and mum and dad welcomed them back home and helped bring Dean and Donna up as well. Just as if they were their own. They were like brother and sister to me rather than nephew and niece, as I said. But they accepted them and welcomed them home. And because of that acceptance, in Mike's example, Jesus he eventually came to the Lord and Jesus powerfully delivered him from, from the addiction of uh, alcohol and drugs as soon as he became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It just went just like that. He tried everything else and it didn't work. Now, and because of acceptance, a difference was made in the kingdom. We were able to create that place, or mum and dad were able to create that place and that environment where even though they weren't living the way that we wanted them, they were actually accepted into an environment where they could see and be encouraged to actually achieve what God had for them, to go after them more, and see some of those pain and difficult things broken off their lives. And acceptance costed time, and it costed money. There is a cost to us in accepting others. This is what the prophet Micah said. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If we want to be part of growing God's kingdom around us, then we need to learn to accept any and everyone, not necessarily con well, not condoning behavior, but still making them feel accepted, and it will cost time and it will cost us money, but friends, we can do it. What God requires, he will provide the grace and provision for so in God's family, we've talked about encouragement, we've talked about powering, we've talked about acceptance, and the last one that I want to talk about is fathering. In God's family is a place where we can be fathered. In 1 Corinthians 4, it says this, Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. You know, a church can be full of guardians, people who will watch out to keep the church safe. And this isn't a, a bad thing. You know, intercessors, for instance, can be guardians for. That are helping to watch over the spiritual climate to the church. Us elders can be guardians, helping to keep the church going the right direction on the right track. But we also all need fathers, people who will come alongside and model what it means to follow Christ. Paul said he was a father to the Corinthian church and they should imitate him. And then he sends them Timothy, a young man, he has mentored and helped grow up in the faith and sends them as a spiritual father to the Corinthian church that they can actually follow him as well. Now, mum and dad were busy. Dad was in business, mum worked and was involved in lots of community things. However, dad always found time to come alongside and coach and train. 
I learned to guess well while I was still at primary school. And one of the interesting things about Dad is he, he, he didn't like taking no for an answer. And he had this fascination around perpetual motion. He wanted to build a perpetual motion machine. And he, he'd be, he reckoned magnets were the answer. And he'd be out there and he'd have these bicycle wheels set up and he was trying to get these magnets working so the thing would just keep going and not, not stop. And Tony and I would give him a hard time because we had sort of known enough a, about a little bit of science. And we said, it will never work. You're breaking the law, second law of thermodynamics which says that everything basically runs down. So it can't. It's impossible for you to build a perpetual motion machine. And I think Dad replied something like, that's what scientists said when they said the world was flat. Dad wouldn't give up. And as I reflect back, I think that Dad was trying to instill in us the, the mindset that just because people say it can't be done doesn't mean to say you shouldn't try and do it. How else will things change and progress? You know, he is a great father. And fathering is part of living in God's kingdom, being part of his family. We should all be being fathered. And we should all be fathering someone else, or if you prefer, mothering if you want to be uh, uh, on the other gender side. In other words, we should be being discipled, discipling others who are able to disciple someone else. So we should be being discipled and we should be discipling others who are encouraging to disciple others. And even now for me, I, I try to make sure that I have people around me who are speaking into my life. I've got a guy that I meet with monthly at the moment who, who is just speaking into some of the aspects of my life around where I need encouragement with. <laughs> just recently, uh, Anna took me out for breakfast um, because she, she felt that she wanted to speak into my life about an area in the eldership, and she, she is a gifted PR person. I'm not. And so she, she encouraged me, and uh, she did it very encouragingly, of ways that I could improve some of the PR stuff that I do. And it's good. Having people speak into your lives, we should all encourage it. It doesn't mean that they have to be older by age. They can be older in their skill and their talent and their ability to come alongside us. Who do you have who is fathering you and if the answer is no one, what are you going to do about it? And who are you fathering or mentoring or encouraging or coaching? Who can you come alongside and help grow into the person God has called them to be? Because there are aspects of your life that they can imitate. So God's family is a place where we should be, it just should always be encouraging. And God's family should be a place where we're empowered to go after the dreams that God has for us. And God's family should be a place where there's real acceptance taking place. And God's family should be a place where we are fathered and mentored and built up in the faith and have people that we can imitate and be people that can imitate for those who are coming behind us. But families are messy. There are also places that we can let our guard down and be ourselves. And God's, 
instituted family as the first organization in his kingdom. Friends, we are privileged to be part of his family if we're following Jesus.